0: And so good to be here, and I just want to mention one on that transition to career luncheon next week. Uh, if you're a grad student also, that's definitely right in the wheelhouse of people were wanting to invite to this event as well. So yeah, good to be here. It's a great morning already. How many of you have ever had this experience? I, I'm guessing this happened to you not too long ago, where you've felt like you're at the top of the world, one minute, and then the next day it was like the bottom fell out. And it was like, what just happened? Like, I I just feeling like life is great. And then so quickly, it can be the opposite. It can be like, just a great, powerful time of worship like we just had now where we're encountering God and hearing from Him and the revelation of what Jesus has done on the cross with His resurrection and His plan for our life. And we're like, oh, this is so great. But then, like, life happens. And stuff happens. And it can be just a real challenge. And We're in Romans. Last week, we talked through Romans chapter 8, which was this just glorious chapter where Paul is laying out all these promises that we have in God through the gospel, through the good news about Jesus. And there, he says things like, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In all these things, God works, to, God works together for good. No matter what we're going through, God, God works it together for good for those who love Him. And Paul's at this, this pinnacle. And then as he changes to chapter 9, because it's, it's kind of, but it's, what happens a lot of times is you, you're at this, you, have these, you come to this place with God, or He's working in your life, and you realize how good He is and how powerful it is. And you're like, yes, God, oh, man, I got it. Life, give me your best shot. And life says, all right. Here's the left jab. Here's a sucker punch. Just like, just it, life will throw it at you just like that. And I think a lot of the tension of this, this Christian life, of following God, is we live in this tension between the, the already of what God has accomplished in, in, through Jesus, through the resurrection, what God has already accomplished in our lives. There's so much that those of us who have walked with God for any length of time, we could say, wow, God has done a lot in my life. I've seen him do so much. So we, we live in this tension between the already and the not yet. There's the the parts of our life and the world where we're not yet experiencing the restored life and everything life is meant to be and everything God intends. And we have this sense that we were made for more and the world was made for more, and God's, God's bringing that about, but we live in this tension between the already and the not yet. And Paul, in Romans 9, he goes from... The already of the good news to something in his not yet that is really very painful for him, really something that he feels very deeply. And today we're we're going to hit just the high points of Romans nine, actually nine, ten, or eleven. Sorry, yeah, what's my my numbers right? Nine, ten, and eleven. We're just going to hit some high points, especially nine and ten, and. You can read those on your own during this week, and in some of the small groups, we're talking about those. But our, our, top, our title is Invitation in and Election. Really, Chapter 9, we're going to look at this topic of election, and Chapter 10, this topic of the invitation that comes to us. And I'll, we'll break that down a little bit more. But in Chapter 9, Paul—but a lot of these, these chapters, they cover a lot. And some of the stuff that life hits us with, some of it is circumstances, challenges that we're facing— And some of it is questions that we have, tough questions about life and about God and things that are hard to know the answer to. And if we really could see what was going on, questions that the devil sometimes likes to bring to us to try to undermine our confidence in God. And so in these chapters, Paul actually like addresses a lot of these questions. So here here are some of them. You may may have faced some of those even recently. Um, here, Here are some of them. One of them is, do we choose God? Or does he choose us? How could a gracious God judge people? Especially those who haven't heard the good news. Or a related question, is it really fair for people from, to expect people from other cultures to change their religion? That's a big question. It's addressed in these chapters. Um, another question is, aren't religions, especially Christianity, responsible for racism, And division. I'm going to address that. What about my friends and family members who do not follow Jesus? Here's a real question. Here's an interesting one. Does God treat Israel and Jewish people differently from the rest of the world? And these last two may not be so much what what we're asking, but they're questions that Paul was, was asking. This last one really is the one that was very close to his heart. Why haven't the Jewish people accepted Jesus as their Messiah. And so Paul is writing as a Jewish man, and he's seen the gospel change people's lives, and he's writing to the church in Rome that's made up of believers who are both from, who are Jewish background, ethnically and culturally, and Roman, just the regular Roman citizenry, Gentiles, and they're all together in one church, and there's this tension between them. But Paul is dealing with the reality of, man, most of my people aren't, following jesus and we're going to just jump right into chapter nine because that's that's what he writes about in verse one he says i speak the truth in christ and again i want you to think about this question may not be exactly your question but if you can apply it to the the things that life tries to hit you with and the questions that are unanswered or hard to answer for you in chapter nine verse one paul says i speak the truth in christ i'm not lying my conscience confirms it through the holy spirit I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So again, if you remember, he's just gone from the verses right before this, where nothing can separate us from the love of God. Height, depth, angels, principalities, nothing. And then he could hardly use more powerful language to describe the the anguish that that he feels, that he's going through emotionally about this, this issue. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, the people of Israel. And so, there's something that Paul is grieving about, the, the state of the Israelites who have not recognized Jesus. And we see, and this is important to, as, even as we go on in this, this, this talk, these chapters, that there's some, so some high-level theological concepts we're going to talk about, like predestination and, election, stuff like that. But underneath it all, the attitude and the approach that Paul is coming with is, is a heart for people. Really, God's heart for people. That he cares so deeply about people, and especially people that are separated from God. Um, he goes on, and continue on in verse 4, he says, Theirs, the people of Israel, is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. He's saying, man, these are my people. They've been God's chosen people. They're the people that God has chosen to work with for the last thousand years. And God has given so much to them. We've gotten his laws, we've gotten the scriptures, the temple, the sacrificial system, all the promises about the Messiah. We've been the people that God put his finger on ever since our great-great-grandfather Abraham and said, I'm going to use you to be my people and to bless the nations of the world. This is, it's the Jewish people, it's my people. But, but there's a gap here. Theirs are the patriarchs. From them is root, is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. And so then he transitions from this into this whole topic of election. And election is kind of a, a, a theological word, it basically means the same thing as selection in this sense. It's not quite the same as an election where we vote for people, although it's related like you're choosing who's going who's to win. Um, this is how does God select who's in his family? And it goes on in verse 6. He says, it's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Not all who are the descendants of Israel or another name. It was the name Jacob. That was the name given to, the, to Abraham's grandson Jacob was Israel, and so the nation of Israel were the descendants of, of Jacob. But not, he's saying not every descendant of Jacob is the true Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. It's not the children of physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Now what he's saying here is that it's not just the natural line, That is who God chooses. It's not who you would expect. It's not what people do in our own natural ability or our natural resources. How many of you have noticed this? That so often you can see someone grow up in a religious environment or a church environment, and you'd be like, okay, they're the one that's going to have a great relationship with God. And then it doesn't work out that way. And then you see someone who had no exposure to the things of God, And then someone shares the gospel with them at the right time, and they say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And their life is radically transformed. God, this is how God works. It's unexpected. It's so often not according according to natural things, not according to what we would expect, but God works differently than that. And a lot of us in this room are are going, thank God for that, because I was one of those dudes that just came to me like that. Um, It's not pedigree. It's not our connection to the religious establishment. It's not knowing all the right answers. But what is he saying in that in, in there? He says, "It's." Did I read all that already? Or did I stop halfway? I stopped halfway. Oh, it's verse eight. It's not the children of physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. It's not natural descent or natural things, but God's promise coming to a person, coming to you or me, and saying, I have a promise for you through Jesus. And if you'll receive this, I got it for you. Um, but it's not not natural. In verse 11, he, he's, he's talking about some of the history of Israel here. And we're just going to hit some of the highlights, like I said. But he talks about uh, Jacob, or Israel, when he was born, how that happened. And Jacob was a twin. He was actually the younger twin. He was born a few minutes after his brother Esau. So Esau, in Hebrew culture, the the firstborn had the birthright. They were the the chosen ones. They got the the blessing. They were the one who through the family line would go. But it says this, Before the twins, Jacob and Esau were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election and his selection might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, She or their mother Rebecca was was told, the older will serve the younger. And so Paul's he's giving them a little history lesson and their the history the history of Israel. Say, hey, think about how this has always happened. There, all through the line, we see that it wasn't just who you would expect who God chose, but even in the very beginning of our nation, there were two twin brothers, and God didn't choose Esau the older brother; he chose Jacob the younger brother, and said the older is going to serve the younger. This is a, And this is the beginning. In these three chapters, there are actually 45 Old Testament references where he quotes, Paul quotes the Old Testament. It's just chock full of Old Testament quotations and extra, uh, telling us what was going on, in, um, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But God does the unexpected. And really what this, well, this is so important because it establishes God's sovereignty. That God is the one who is the Savior. He is the one who chooses. He's the one who's sovereign. It's not you. It's not me. It's not, it's not a competition to see who can be the goodest or the most you know, moral or the most religion. There's, some, there's something beyond all that where God is God, and he chooses. And this is consistent with this theme is all through Scripture. Jesus talked about this multiple times. In John 15, 16, he, he told his his disciples, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you might go and bear fruit. Again, it wasn't, it's not according to what they'd done, but it's so that God's purpose in election might stand. That God has a purpose beyond what we might think or how we would, how we would do this. God does the unexpected. Um, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Isn't that? If you look at your life, those of us who are believers in uh, Jesus—I'll come back to that in a second. Let's just keep reading here, verse fourteen. Just get those wheels turning. What shall? What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For God says to Moses, "I will have mercy on whom I have mercy." And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. A lot of us, when we, we, this whole idea of God's election, God's choosing, the questions come up in our mind, like, oh, that doesn't seem fair. Why would God choose one and not the other? And Paul goes right into addressing that question. What shall we say? Is God unjust? Does this seem unjust? And he basically flips it upside down. And he says, you know, that's, that's how we think. But that's because we're really not seeing any things accurately. Let's step back and remember what we talked about in, in the third chapter of Romans. Of course, when he was writing this, there, wasn't, there were no chapters. But we go back in Romans 3. It talked, he, he says, what we talked about a few weeks ago, that none are righteous. No one understands. No one seeks God. All are under sin. So we tend to be like, hey, how, could, how is it fair? How could God judge anybody? How could God send anybody to hell? How could God judge anyone? But really the question is not how could God judge anyone. The question is how could God forgive anyone? How could God have mercy on anyone? That's the real question. How we are all sinners. We are all under the power of sin. We all gave God the defiant finger and said, I'm going my own way. I am choosing my path. And God is a holy God. The the amazing mystery of it all is that God would save sinners. And that is the, the, the beauty of the gospel is that God has mercy on sinners. God, and you think about that, like, Esau was undeserving of God's blessing, and so was Jacob. Jacob was undeserving, but God reached out to him. And God actually has reached out to the descendants of both Jacob and Esau to bring them to himself throughout throughout history. He he exercises mercy and justice at the same time. In verse 25, we read, God says in Hosea, and this is interesting, the book of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet in the Old Testament, who his special calling from God... How many of you want a calling from God? His calling, God told him, hey, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And she's going to be unfaithful to you. All right, ready? Go, obey me. Here's your calling. And Hosea did that. And that's what happened. His wife was unfaithful with him, with numerous other people. And, but then God said, that's what people are like with me. But I want you to go and pursue her and call her back to be your wife. And be reconciled to her. And this happened not just once, but multiple times. And God was saying, that is what it's like with me and people. Is I've called you to be my my wife, be my, my covenant people, but you're unfaithful. But I keep reaching out to you, I keep pursuing you. And so that's he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who's not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, You're not my people there they will be called the children of the living God. So God's purpose is to extend mercy. His purpose is to turn his enemies into his people. And what I started to ask earlier, I'll ask again, isn't that, if you're a follower of Jesus, isn't that how it happened with you? I think, I'll tell you, I was not seeking God. Now, by the grace of God, I was young when it happened, but I was not, just, but my, my mom just share the gospel with me one morning because she felt prompted in her heart to share the gospel. And she did, and I accepted Christ. I bet your story is, has a lot of similarities to that. That, so God reached out to you. God drew near to you and gave you what you didn't deserve. I think about how did my mom come to faith? Well, her mom was a, a school teacher in Nebraska, very materialistic, very just self-centered. And she had a little girl in her class. Invite her to go to these meetings at her church. And this girl was different than the other kids in the class. And so my grandmother went with her to to this church meeting. And she heard the gospel for the first time at age 35. And she was born again. And my grandmother literally probably led hundreds of people to Christ. It was amazing after that. We we all have, have stories like how does the gospel come to us. It wasn't that we were so noble or so virtuous or seeking God. But God reached out to us. Um, last week, Pastor was it two weeks ago, John McDermott told his story of how he was invited to a meeting. And he was like, I'm not going to go to that meeting. But then he like, found himself walking, and this bus stopped in front of him. And it wasn't even a bus stop. And he found himself getting on the bus. And the bus driver said, you're lucky I stopped there because I'm a sub. The regular driver would never stop there. And it took him up to where this medium was, and he heard the gospel, and it broke through, and he became a believer. Like, God does that in our lives. It's, it's so cool. So God, we don't choose him, but he chooses us. So that's, that's chapter 9 right there in a, But in, an awesome, in a nutshell. But God chooses us. He goes on in chapter 10, and in all these stories of God's election, We also see this element of invitation. That we, God, there's always a way that the gospel, the good news of Jesus comes to us and invites us to respond. And that's how God changes people. That's how he brings us into his purpose. Um, I think, again, those of us who are believers, you would be able to say 99.8 times out of 100, there was a person Who reached out to me? There was a person who invited me. And that was an essential part of the process of how I became part of God's people, how He worked in my life. So, in chapter 10, let's jump back in here. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Here, Paul goes from this talk about God's choosing, God's election. God's selection. And it's interesting that having a high view of the fact that God chooses you should not make you deterministic or fatalistic. Like, oh, well, if God wants to save people, he'll do it without me. Now, Paul knows that God chooses people, but he's still, he's in this place of, because of that, God, my heart's desire, my passion, my prayer is for the people around me, my people, that they will be saved. God, You choose lost people to be saved. God, will you choose these people? Will you choose my people? How come they're not yet? How come they haven't yet experienced what you have for them? Oh, brothers, my, my desire. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, but that's my desire. That's my prayer. And when we understand God's election, it should not make us judgmental. It should not make us deterministic or fatalistic, but it should make us compassionate and prayerful for people around us. There's this, this, this idea, and a lot of times there are theological debates about predestination and, and free will, or election and our choice. And I, 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 someone mentioned this to me a long time ago, and it stuck in my mind. If you look at this graph here, it's kind of like this. We see election and human responsibility. I like the term human responsibility more than free will, because as we've been talking about this fall, we don't really have free will. When we talk about the myth of autonomy, that you got to serve somebody, actually. When we, we're always, we're either serving God or we're serving other powers. And so, but there is an element of, of responsibility that is real. And it's kind of like, this is in math. There, when, when you see, when there are two lines, think, think back to algebra or whatever. This is, I talked to Rob, who's got a master's degree in math, and he helped me fi- find this graphic. But this is, this is what's this called? A, a Cauchy sequence. It's, but it's convergence. It's convergence is when two different lines are coming closer and closer together. And these two lines, mathematically, they're coming closer and closer together as that line keeps moving forward down the the n-axis. They're getting closer and closer and closer together, but they don't come together. They converge only in infinity. They don't quite touch until infinity. And that's how it is with these ideas of election and human responsibility. They're both true. But in our limited, finite minds, we can't quite wrap our understanding around how that works. But they are both true. Um, God, he chooses people, but we have responsibility as well in our decisions. And So chapter 10 is more about this responsibility on our part to respond and to, to spread the message. In, in, cha- in verse 9, this very well-known verse, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like, wait, I thought only God could save us. But this says, i got to believe in something and confess something. Like, well, yes, only God can save you. And this is the way he does it. He does it through you believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so there's those two lines coming together. And think about that, like, how, if, if you are in this room today and you believe in your heart that a man named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago and didn't sin and was sent from God and he was God's son and he was God and he died on the cross for our sins and then God raised him from the dead, if you believe that, you did not figure that out by yourself. That is not just a rational Thought. That is God revealing that to you. That is God calling you. That is God helping you, giving you belief that that is true. And so that's how God saves us. he, He does it like that. He gets a hold of our hearts. And then He wants us to acknowledge Him with our words. Verse 10 For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, that you're made right with God. You're made just as if you never sinned. And it's with your mouth that you confess. And are saved. He gets a hold of us, and then he wants us to acknowledge him. And so there's some power in our in our words, in our confession, in our believing that, and then having a step of faith and acting out on what God has put in our hearts. This confession, Jesus is Lord, that's the the classic confession that ever since Paul wrote this, the people have spoken when they get baptized, when they say, Jesus is my Lord, and I'm following him, and I'm turning away from my old life of sin. And identifying with Jesus, there's a confession. Jesus is my Lord. And there's a power in us speaking that in front of other people. Jesus said that if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And so his salvation comes to us as we we believe and and as we confess. And it's not just a formula to say, I think, I kind of grew up thinking like this, like, Okay, pray the sinner's prayer. I accept Jesus, that Jesus forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And that's good. But to say Jesus is Lord is not just like this formula, but to the Romans, the people hearing this, the, they understood that like the loyalty oath of the Roman Empire was this statement, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is our ultimate allegiance. And because he's Lord, and I say he's Lord, that's going to affect what I do with my money. I'm going to pay taxes. That's going to affect my talent and my time. I may have to have jury duty or serve in the army. It realigns my my life because of this allegiance to Caesar as Lord. And the same is true for us. If Jesus is Lord, that's not just empty words that we say, but it's a statement of allegiance to him being the one who... We follow and who we align everything um, after. Verse 11 says, As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no difference. No difference between Jew and Gentile. We are all called into one family. No matter what our background, no matter our culture, no matter if we were born in church or we never saw a church growing up, it doesn't matter. We're all called. There's no difference because it's, it's the same Lord who's Lord of all. And he richly blesses all who call on him. You know, I think sometimes we get hung up on the whole sovereignty, free will questions, but it's, it, it's like, don't get too hung up, just call on the Lord. All who call on the Lord will be saved. So, just call on him. Do you want to call on him? Okay, then God's calling you. Call on him. All right, stop getting stuck in all these debates. Okay, call on the Lord, you'll be saved. Do you want to call on the Lord? Do you want to be saved? Oh, do you not want to be saved? Okay, well, then why would you be mad that God's not calling you if you don't want to be saved? But if you want to be saved, call on him. And he's, he's saving you. It's such good stuff. If you want to be saved, you can. No one who wants to be saved isn't. Verse 14, how then, oh, I love this, this is really starting to get good now. It was, it was already good, but this is really good. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How does this happen? How does God change lives? They've got to, people have to hear something. You and I had to hear something. Your family members got to hear something. Your coworkers have to hear something. People in your neighborhood have to hear something. Your classmates have to hear something. They're not, that's how God saves people. They hear the good news about Jesus, and God does something miraculous in a heart that says, Okay, oh, wow, oh, that's real. I believe that. Okay, I'm going to respond. Now, some of the greatest joys in my life, many of the greatest joys in my life, have been when I've had the opportunity to communicate this message to another person, and God has met them in that moment, and they've said yes, and they've responded. Now, that's not—I don't bat 100 percent. It's probably like one percent. I don't know, like. <laughs> There are a whole lot of other, like, you know, Reagan and I joke, she's got this friend, like my wife Reagan in our neighborhood, who she's been talking to about Jesus for the last two years. And it's like once a month, this this friend of ours is is not interested. She doesn't, I mean, she would say she's not interested. She would say she doesn't believe the stuff we believe. And then, like, about once a month, they have this conversation where, where Reagan sticks her neck out and says something kind of crazy. And she comes home and is like, I we're probably never going to talk again. Like, that was so, like, I was so out there. I don't know what's going to happen. And then the, she, like, shows up at our house and gives us some cookies or invites our daughter over to play. Like, there's just, this relationship keeps happening. And that's, that's a lot of it. But, but there's a, a joy in, in sharing the gospel. And then I think about when I was in college, and I'd, I'd been a Christian, but I'd never had the privilege of leading someone to faith in Christ. And I, my roommate and I started a Bible study. And we invited the guy across the hall from us. And he didn't show up. And so I actually hadn't thought about it too much. But after our first Bible study, we went back to our room, because we were in a different room. And later that night, he knocked on our door. Brian Welsh and said, hey, can I come in and talk? And he's like, you know, I, I'm interested in this, but I don't know anything. So I don't think I should go to a Bible study, because I don't know enough. I'm like, no, actually, that's what it's for. <laughs> But but he's like, but can we just talk about this? Like, just the three of us? Would that be okay? I'm like, well, let's think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So we started talking, and about a week or two later, or a month or two, I don't know, at least track of time, pretty quickly, Brian Wells crossed the line of faith and became a follower of Jesus. And to this day, he's one of our very good friends. He's an elder in his church in Los Angeles, and God's done powerful things through him. I can think about my friend... Nurgazi, who I met, was an international student from Kyrgyzstan, and we built a friendship. And we were friends for a few months, and he was pretty cool with everything. And he was pretty cool with the whole Christian thing. He was coming to church, and stuff was good. But Kyrgyzstan's a culturally Muslim nation, and it's, the issue came up that Jesus is God, and Jesus is God's son. And he said, "Oh no, that's a big deal. God can't have a son. That no, man. That, you." And so we had this. And so we had this conversation in the cafeteria. And I said, "Well, it comes down to this. Like, do you, this is essential that you believe Jesus is God. Jesus is God's son. You believe in him." And he said, "Oh man, I, you're, I can't do that. That's just not true. That Doesn't make any sense." And so we we went to our separate ways. The next day I get a phone call and Nergazi says, I had a dream. I saw Jesus and I believe. And God revealed himself to him and everything changed. I was like, wow! That's powerful. He's a good friend of mine. I have an open invitation. I've gone to Kyrgyzstan. I've been part of, I've helped with the church. He's there. He's, He's like, you need to come back. I've got an open invitation. All expenses paid to go to Kyrgyzstan. I just need to find the time. But it's like so. It like I remember that happening. Going, God, wow. Somehow, like it wasn't me, but I got to say something that was part of this process of you reaching this guy who's my friend, and that's what God calls all of us into. It's a beautiful thing to see God be reconciled to to him and to one another. I was just thinking about getting ready. There's so many stories. Just I love how, how God has done this in person's life after person's life. And man, the stories in this room are amazing. I was thinking about Javon. Where's Javon? See? Yeah, there you are. I, well, I met him, our friend Lori who lived across the hall of an apartment complex from the Griffin family and invited them to church. And they came to church for a little while and then they stopped coming. For like a year. That's how I remember it. I think Javon says it was like two weeks, but I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was like a year. And then one day I was just driving, and I thought, Man, I wonder. I should just call Javon. I wonder how they're doing. And I called him. And Javon said, "Whoa. I just told Quinita we need to go to church, and then you called me." And then they came. And we were meeting in our living room. Our church was meeting in our living room, just getting started. And a couple of weeks after that, after we had our, our little worship and discussion, Javon said, just, I have a question. Like, how do you know that you're right with God? I said, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> and he accepted Christ that day. And his life has been transformed ever since. Now, it's just so cool. It's, it's You know, sometimes dramatic, sometimes not. But God... In his mystery, he uses us to carry out his promises. In the end of Romans chapter 11. Chapter 11 goes into a lot more detail about how just God's wisdom and Paul's big question about the Jews and the Gentiles and how come the Jews aren't believing. And Paul, he he explains God gives him understanding that God is bringing them all together as one family. But there's a time and a pattern and a process that God is in control of, and he knows what's going on. In verse 33, it's kind of a a, a song or a a hymn of praise to God. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who's ever gone to God that God should repay repay them? For from him... And through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. Now God's wisdom is amazing. God's understanding is amazing. Especially when we don't understand it. That's why it's his understanding. Not ours. He is doing something so beautiful, so profound, so powerful. And it's beyond our ability but yet he invites us into that process with him. But it's all from him and about him and for him. And so uh, I think there's a lot of different applications for us this morning with the stuff we're talking about this morning. You may be in the category of, you know, I've been offended at God about something. God, how could this be so? How could you do this? And if that's the case, God is wanting you to, to trust him that he is good, and his wisdom is beyond ours. And as you trust him, he is working things for good. You may be, maybe you haven't yet believed that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessed that he's Lord. Man, that's, today could be the day for you to cross that line of faith. Say, okay, Lord, you, you called me. I'm calling on you. And I'm following you from here on out. You may be like, well, I believe that, but I'm not really believing it. I'm not really, I've confessed it, but I'm not really confessing it. So, God, I, wanna, I need to actively be believing you raised Jesus from the dead. And finding ways to confess. Finding ways to declare the truth about who you are to myself and to people around you. Maybe, it's, maybe God's just wanting to increase your heart for people give you the kind of heart that he has, and the heart that Paul had. And oh man, I just I feel so deeply for those that are separated from God. And God, how would you, I'm, I'm praying, but God, how could I be part of that process of you reconciling people to yourself through me? God, I want to be part of that process. I want to take some steps of faith and obedience to be part of that process and join in the mission that God has for you. So let's, let me bow your heads and wherever you're at, I would just encourage you if there's something that God is, there's a response that you want to make if there's there's a place to take personal responsibility in this whole process a response in your heart and your life to God just in your own heart take a minute and say, Lord, I say yes to you I want to follow you in this I want to trust you in this, and I'm going to trust you in this. Lord, we thank you for this. Thank you for your good news. Thank you for your wisdom. God, I worship you. We, We worship you as a God who's way smarter than us, whose understanding is so far beyond us. and Thank you that you are doing things beyond what we can understand. Thank you that you're reconciling the world to you and you're reconciling us to you more and more. And Lord, I just pray for your grace. I pray for your encouragement this morning that that you would even just be putting a, a, a deeper understanding in our hearts today of the good news, that it's not contingent upon how good things are going or how we feel, but it's contingent upon you. Lord, would you deepen our trust and understanding of you and your ways. And God, we, we just thank you for involving us in this, letting us have a part to play, working out your, your goodness in our lives and through our lives. Thank you for that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.